Welcome to another episode of Becoming Unfuckwithable with your host, Mindy Harley. Warning, listening to this podcast might cause you to shatter your limited beliefs, recognize your potential, and motivate you to be the best you can be. Other side effects may include, but not limited, to grabbing life by the balls, taking no crap from anyone, becoming an unstoppable force at various aha moments to get you thinking outside the box. Welcome to another episode of Becoming Unfuckwithable. My name is Mindy Harley, and I hope you're having an awesome day. And today's guest has been following a plant-based diet for over 20 years. He's a best-selling author of the book, Vegan Bodybuilding and Fitness, The Complete Guide to Building Your Body on a Plant-Based Diet, and his latest book, Shred It. He's also a two-time natural bodybuilding champion and is considered one of Veg News Magazine's most influential vegan athletes. He tours around the world sharing his stories of transformations from a skinny farm kid to a champion vegan bodybuilder. And he's just back from China, and I managed to lock him down for an interview. Please welcome Robert Cheek. Robert, you know what? I had the pleasure of being pointed your way via my husband, um, and you know he spoke so highly of you. You know he has he has your book, um, and he said you know the the moment that I started kind of questioning whether or not I wanted to eliminate some you know animal protein from my diet. He's like, well, you know, there's one person that you need to talk to, and it's Robert. So, I mean, how long have you been a vegan for? Yeah, thanks, Mindy, and uh, thank you to Sean for sending you my way. Uh, I've been vegan for just about 22 years. In December, it will mark this, uh, the start of my 23rd year, I guess, so 22 full years on December 8th. Oh, wow. That So, what what sparked it for you? Like, what was... what? What was the deciding point for you to make the change? I was a kid living on a farm and, you know, we had cows and chickens and turkeys and rabbits and all these animals. And and uh, I was in the 4-H program raising animals and would take them to the county fair and eventually sell them at the auctions, such as a, a dairy calf that I had and, and chickens that I had and I think even some rabbits that yeah. I sold. And really, it was back in 1995 at age 15 that I decided, you know what, I, I don't really want to cause uh, suffering or harm to my animal friends, you know, animals that I grew close to, that I had a relationship with, much like people have with a dog or a cat. And I mean, growing up on a farm, you have that kind of experience where farm animals have first names, they are your pets, they're very tame, you take them to the county fair, they follow you around, that kind of thing. And so it just didn't sit well with me. I had no idea what a vegan or, or even vegetarian was, to my knowledge, back then. Yeah. I just knew that I didn't want to cause harm or suffering to animals anymore. And so that's when I just stopped consuming animal products. Yeah. That was just, that was just done for you then, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't... Uh, I just stopped on, on one random day, December 8th, 1995, and I just told my friends that, hey, I won't be joining you guys for lunch, uh, going to fast food or sandwich shops. I was a sophomore in high school, uh, but I didn't, I didn't expect it to last all that long, I guess. I decided I would try it for a week, try this uh, vegan thing for a week and see how it goes, and now a couple decades later, I'm, I'm still doing it, so um, so it, it had its, it's had its longevity, I guess, in my, yeah. in my life. Definitely. So you feel that, it, you know, there is, do you feel that a lot of people that, you know, try, you know, starting off like maybe with being a, a vegetarian first and stuff like that, do you find that a lot, uh, it's easier for them to transition into being a vegan or do you find that a lot of people kind of fall off the wagon and go back to eating meat? Yeah, I think the data suggests that incremental steps are what, uh, assist in the likelihood that someone sticks with a vegetarian or vegan diet um, rather than just stopping altogether like I did and like a, a number of people do. And obviously one approach doesn't work for everyone. There's different approaches that will work better for other people depending on just partly your, your mindset and your approach to things. Just like we have an approach to fitness, some people are going to be really dedicated and hardcore and other people are just going to go a couple days a week. Um, Similar kind of thing, I think, with uh, with changing diet, nutrition, or overall lifestyle approach, 
incremental steps seem to lead to the highest percentage of people sticking with it. So, um, so that's what I would say. Oh, well, I feel like I'm on the right track then because I'm doing incremental steps. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, I mean, I struggled at first and I'm, I'm very open about that in my lectures that I give, uh, throughout the world and in books that I write that I, you know, partly I was only 15 years old, didn't have a lot of my own money, didn't know exactly what I wanted to eat. The internet wasn't around yet, or at least not the public internet. It came out a few months later or a year yeah. later, uh, as far as just our, our regular use of it. Uh, those who had computers at home back then in the mid nineties. So I didn't have a lot of resources. I didn't have a lot of uh, community, uh, I guess, or support, or, uh, as far as the packaged products, um, there weren't a lot of plant-based options back then. So it was mostly just eating real food, which in hindsight is a really good thing. Yeah. Um, I think, but you know, there just weren't as many options or, or areas for learning back then. Uh, so I did struggle a little bit to be honest, but I stuck with it. Uh, because of the reasons that I mentioned earlier, that I really wanted to make a difference in the lives of animals and not cause harm to them. It was something that I just felt passionate about. And so uh, so that's how I that's how I made my transition into a vegan lifestyle. But I was also a little bit worried because I only weighed 120 pounds back then. And I was a, a five-sport athlete, and I thought, well, you know, I want to get bigger and stronger. Can I really do this without drinking milk, without eating meat, without eating eggs, all the things that I heard on TV uh, that were important for me to consume in order yeah. to get bigger and build muscle? Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that is such a big thing for people, too, and especially in the bodybuilding community where it's, you know, that's, you're relying on your, your egg whites, you know, your eggs, your, you know, um, beef and chicken and the lean ground turkey and you know obviously yeah I mean it does add simplicity when you know you don't have to think as hard as okay what you know am I is it going to be what am I making today is it going to be chickpeas like how many chickpeas do I need am I eating you know uh, tempeh or what because I mean that's something that you know I'm struggling with now is trying to learn um, you know new sources of protein that are you know high in protein and maybe not so carb heavy. And I know that was um, one of the concerns too that my girlfriend asked too, is how can you have a, um, is it possible to have a, like a protein rich but low carb vegan diet? Because it does seem that a lot of people or like maybe it's one of the mistakes of maybe just not preparing properly is that they do tend to eat a lot of carbs <laughs> from like trying to go vegan and maybe not being educated in the best choices that are going to be protein rich. So what would be some of your suggestions? Well, that's one of the things that I wrestled with too. You know, like I said, I was 120 pounds and I became vegan age 15 yeah. and I was a, a five sport athlete, but then eventually I became a distance runner in college. So I was never built for, for bodybuilding or building muscle. I was a, pretty fast runner, uh, somewhat tall, skinny guy, you know, six feet tall and 150 pounds by the time I was 20 and uh, running long distance races. And that's when I first really got into bodybuilding around age 19, 20. And I just discovered it through a friend who showed me muscle magazines. And so I first learned of guys like Ronnie Coleman and Sean Ray. I'd never heard of them before. And so I decided, you know, I would give this bodybuilding thing a try. And I wondered the same thing because I learned that they eat high protein, a lot of things like chicken breasts and egg whites and whey protein powders. And how can I possibly do this as a vegan? So that's really what I went out to do. That's what I set out to do. And I, I had a 10-year bodybuilding career and uh, within five different federations, everything from NPC to OCB, IMBA, IMBF, etc. And I won multiple shows and I went from uh, – 150 about when I started lifting weights to 195 pretty quickly and I uh, competed mostly at middleweight 176 or 172 or something like that and uh and, and I to answer your question you know I, back then I just substituted most meat things for tofu usually organic just blocks of organic tofu and I yeah. use nutritional yeast and salsa and other things to to flavor it without adding any extra carbohydrates or calories. There's like 10 calories, you know, in, in servings of salsa and nutritional yeast, essentially, uh, no calories to my, to my knowledge, just, uh, or very few, just some seasoning and make yeah. it have a little bit of a cheesy flavor or some sort of flavor. And I would bake it in the oven. 
And then I would do plant-based protein drinks back then. And, and, uh, and then a lot of the other foods that most bodybuilders eat, oats and brown rice and broccoli and spinach and all of those types of things, sweet potatoes. And, and then I would use other things like lentils and beans and, uh, and just a variety of, of green vegetables and fruits. And just, I really focused on my total calorie intake and made sure I got adequate calories and, uh, and worked hard in the gym as well to make sure those calories are being put to use and getting burned through and u- being used as building blocks to recover after workouts. And I made it work. Yeah. And uh, so I did that for 10 years. And then when I was done competing, you know, I had a really good year, final year. I, I, I got uh, you know, first place and second place and third place. And I think I had some really good shows, including an NPC. And I decided I was kind of done. Um, I've been doing it for almost 10 years. I was I had three shows in four weeks, I think, and uh, and I decided I would write, <laughs> write some books and yeah. take a little bit of a break, and so that's that's what I did around 2010. Yeah, and, and you wrote um, Vegan Bodybuilding and Fitness: The Complete Guide to Building Your Body on Plant-Based Diet. Yeah, and I I wrote that right around the time I met Sean. I think we were both working with Bodybuilding.com at the Olympia and the Arnold and these you know these major events and. And, um, I think he, he had just won some sort of like, uh, spokesperson of the year or something. And he was yeah. on all these big posters and banners and <laughs> just this really nice guy who worked yeah. at the bodybuilding.com booth along with just absolute legends like, like Dorian Yates and Mike O'Hearn and all these guys that worked with us, um, you know, throughout the day would come by the booth and stay for a couple hours and, and all that. And, and Sean was always one of my, my favorite guys. And I remember I wrote the book. Uh, right around that time, I think. Yeah. And so that's how he knew me as some sort of vegan guy. And even though I was a bit retired from the sport and lost, uh, admittedly lost quite a bit of muscle because I just took a break and sat behind a computer and a, a pen and paper and wrote for a while. Uh, he was, you know, he was still really supportive of what I was doing. And, and that, I thought that was pretty cool. And as were a number of other IFBB pros and, and famous people in the sport, like Jamie Eason, they were really supportive of what I was doing. And, became somewhat friends with a, a number of those people. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's nice too when it's, um, you know, especially I think even now, you know, like being a vegan, I mean, obviously from going from when you start first started being a vegan to now, I mean, it's still, it's still, it's still coming to terms with being accepted, I think, in the community or it's maybe not, um, there's just, just not a lot of knowledge around it and maybe just the idea of like, you know, it's, it's harder to do or it's, you know, not sustainable, but I think you um, definitely broke the mold on that, on the stereotype and believing um, what's possible as someone that, you know, received so much um, accolades in the industry, you know, being a vegan athlete. So I think that's just amazing. Well, thank you. And, I, and real quick, I, I think the interesting part, Mindy, I think the reason why, it, it did resonate with people was because I, I never was built like a football player or like a strength athlete. I mean, I was 120 pounds when I was, when I became vegan, I was 89 pounds in eighth grade. I mean, I was a small guy and uh, to be able to almost double body weight, you know, I eventually peaked at about 210 pounds uh, a couple years ago, even after retiring from bodybuilding, I still trained hard and put on some really good quality size, staying injury free for years and, and got pretty strong and was a solid 208 or 210. And that's, you know, that's 90 pounds up from when I became vegan. So I think, I think that's what really lent itself to a powerful story. It wasn't like, uh, I, I was 200 pounds, became vegan and sustained it. I was in the early days, I put on a significant amount of muscle while being vegan. And since then there've been tremendous vegan athletes, including IFBB pros and a variety of sports, physique and women's bodybuilding and bikini and, uh, you know, Nimai Delgado, Harriet Davis, Jahina Malik, there, there's a number of them now who are vegan IFBB pros and a number of really, really top NPC guys like Tori Washington, who's seven-time bodybuilding champion, who's longtime vegan, and Ryan Nelson, and, and, and really, there's, there's a long list now. And these guys are, some of these guys are like twice my size, you know, yeah. Ryan Nelson's <laughs> like 6'4", 250, I mean, way different physique than I ever had, and and Tori Washington has lines everywhere, like eight pack abs, probably even in the off season, you know? And yeah. so 
it's a totally different environment now. Plus you have things like Instagram, you know, we had MySpace back then. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, Instagram, there's a lot of vegan bodybuilders that I follow now and that I'm friends with or colleagues with, or that I just simply follow online that have over a hundred thousand followers, totally different landscape, a uh, hundred thousand, 150,000 quarter million followers, it's totally different landscape than the early days with websites and uh, MySpace accounts and maybe even before the rise of YouTube. So mm-hmm. I think now with social media, YouTube, Instagram, uh, whatever, Facebook, Twitter, there's such a platform for people to share this kind of knowledge and yeah. to be able to share exactly what you eat and how you train and make videos of it and photos of it and recaps and write articles and books and get featured in mainstream uh, publications. And I think it's it's growing now faster than it ever has, but I think you're right that it still is a bit of a fringe thing. I mean, how many competitors at the Olympia, you know, are, follow a, a purely vegan yeah. diet and lifestyle? You know, maybe not that many, um, if any. I, I think some probably do, but I don't know that for sure um, on the actual Olympia stage. But as far as IFBB pros, there, there are a number of them and top NPC competitors, absolutely. But again, trying to break into like, the NFL caliber, you know, being a Tom Brady or, or a LeBron James NBA, you know, we're still working on that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think when you get guys like if we had a Phil Heath or somebody like that, uh, following a vegan lifestyle, I think it would turn some heads. Yeah, um, no, it definitely would. <laughs> so do you think that, you know, and I think the conversation gets brought up every now and then it kind of maybe comes in cycles of, you know, whether or not it's you know trendy to be like that or if there's an agenda. But what are your thoughts on documentaries? I mean, there's like Fork Over Fork Over Knives, I think, and you know, there's the newest one that just came out. That's you know, I've seen I've watched it myself and I've seen it get a lot of um, flack online as um, what the health. So what what are your thoughts on that documentary? Have you seen it? Have you, you know, had a chance to maybe have a conversation about it with other people that are, you know, curious about it as well? Yeah, good questions. Um, I actually worked for the film Forks Over Knives back in 2011. I helped launch that film. I worked as the in their office in Santa Monica as a grassroots uh, coordinator, and I actually made my own film uh, way before that called Vegan Fitness Built Naturally in 2005. uh, Before YouTube came around, and we we sold a few thousand DVDs. You know, just a a small little project that it was fun. You know, a fun documentary at the time when I had a very small budget. Yeah. and, and, and after Forks Over Knives, there have been many others, including What the Health. And it's, believe it or not, I, I actually haven't seen What the Health. I used to be one of the first to watch these films, but I, uh, I've seen so many of them and I've been in some of them that, uh, and I was just on tour for nine straight weeks, including in China. And I just, I just haven't seen it, to be honest. I hear a lot about it, including a, uh, major, major name in, in sports, or at least as far as I'm concerned, I just uh, spent time with at um, at the Idea World Fitness Expo um, in Vegas last weekend, Yeah, said what, what the hell uh, inspired him to become vegan. And I'm hearing that from a lot of people. I, I actually didn't know it was getting very much flack, I guess, partly because I hang out with a lot of people who are vegan or are plant-based who are kind of rah, rah, rah about the film. Yeah. Um, I, do, I do know the producers. I've seen them on tour from Australia to Arizona. Uh, I, they're the ones that made Cowspiracy, so I, I know them from that film and meeting them in person and seeing them on tour. And I do plan to see this film soon, especially because there's so much buzz around. What what the hell? Yeah. So um, I, I don't really – I guess I don't have – uh, a lot of thoughts that I can say right now, but uh, because I haven't seen it, um, though I've heard lots about it and had discussions about it with friends who have, both including, to be to be fair, both uh, vegan friends who are supportive of it and not so supportive of it for various reasons. Yeah. So, um, uh, but w- what about you? You, w- what's your take on it? You've seen it, right? Well, yeah, I mean, there was there's stuff in there. You know, I because I've never actually, I haven't actually sat down to watch any sort of documentaries about, you know, becoming a vegan or anything like that, um, before. So this was, I had, I had gone to Texas for a shoot and some of the ladies there, um, you know, they had just recently turned vegan and said, you know, you've got to watch what the health, 
and stuff. And I was intrigued because already, you know, I had already noticed that my body, I have a bad, I have a bad reaction to chicken, <laughs> no matter what chicken. And I eat like the no hormone, natural girl, blah, 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 blah stuff. And I would get like, my stomach would distend, you know, I'd get serious cramps. So already like it was in the back of my mind, you know, I need to maybe do something about this. Obviously I can't eat chicken anymore because I don't like to suffer. So it kind of just, you know, got the wheel spinning. And when I watched What the Health, you know, yeah, there was, it was kind of eye-opening. There's a lot of things that, you know, I kind of knew of, you know, with like the milk industry they touch on and stuff and, you know, some of the conditions with, you know, the meat processing and everything. And for me, I had already given up drinking milk for a long time. Like, I think I'll have like the odd glass if I'm drinking something sweet, like a cupcake or eating something sweet, like a cupcake. But other than that, like I do not drink milk at all. So, I mean, there's some stuff in there that, you know, I was already, you know, kind of in line with, but there was a lot of the stuff that, and of course, being that I watched it with Sean, like Sean is very um, analytical and can critique and usually will be a fact checker uh, right away. So he was like, well, this doesn't make sense. And this doesn't make sense. So it was kind of like, well, all right, um, you know, take everything with a grain of salt. And then, of course, people are saying that, you know, of course, it's kind of fear mongering. There's, you know, an agenda with this. And, you know, the it isn't right what they're talking about as far as like with the, the health implications and, you know, with. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just I'm just seeing a lot on my um, on my Facebook profile or my Facebook timeline, you know, with a lot of people that are sharing their, um, you know, thoughts on it because, you know, as executive producer was, uh Joaquin, um, I'm going to butcher his name, Joaquin Phoenix, wow. you know, so he's a, um, they had the other um, guy on there from, um, what's that, oh, geez, what's that movie, that movie called, Jackass, like they had him on there, so I mean, oh, Steve-O probably, yeah, Steve-O, yeah, so it's like, you know, like, oh, you're, you're taking Steve, like, Steve-O's an official authority on this matter, kind of thing, so I mean, it was, <laughs> So it was kind of like, well, this is kind of a Hollywood documentary. So, you know, people were kind yeah. of like, eh, you know, so they're really, you know, picking it apart. And, you know, a lot of people are laughing about the, the um, them saying, you know, that uh, one egg is the equivalent to five cigarettes. So that's something that you must have heard before. Like, what's your take on the one egg is equivalent to five cigarettes? Yeah, I, I think it's the, the scale of uh, the level of carcinogen uh, or carcinogenic effect uh, just as the, the very strong relationship between dairy consumption and breast cancer and prostate cancer. And there has been a, a lot of research on this done by uh, a lot of different people. And so I guess I haven't, I don't know much about the, the one egg to five cigarette uh, relationship. And I, I mean, I've been around a long time and I hear lots of things and I don't always pay attention to everything because you have to consider how helpful the stats are or how useful they are or where they came from or who funded the study or will that really resonate with people anyway? Like even if I'm pro vegan and pro uh, animal rights and pro plant-based health and nutrition and, and I have all of my own personal biases and, and uh, agendas that I hope just to share with people, how helpful are certain statistics in getting people to care or to try something. Yeah. And I mean, just like I, you know, and not, not to change the subject too much, but just there's many aspects of animal suffering that I could talk about. And I do come from a place of growing up on a farm and living next to a dairy and uh, being involved in that. My, my brother's currently a cattle farmer out in Oregon. You know, I'm obviously I'm, uh, I, I'm fairly closely related to the, the farming aspect. And yeah. so I can speak to that. But is that helpful in talking about plant-based health and nutrition to a, a general mainstream bodybuilder or fitness enthusiast? Probably not. And so I don't worry about some of those types of, of stats involving how many animals suffer per second and, and all these types of things. So as far as the, the egg and cigarette uh, connection, um, not something super high on my radar because it's not part of the conversation that I talk about. Yeah. And I talk, I talk about, some of the benefits of improved recovery, uh, increased energy, uh, higher intake of fiber and more water-rich foods, decreased intake of dietary cholesterol, and overall uh, feeling of, of typically more energy and feeling lighter and taking some stress off the digestive system through a plant-based diet and all of these types of things that I think really 
resonate more with someone who's looking at peak performance and someone who's looking at uh, building their body with also, you know, taking some sort of care for their overall health too. So, um, so I talk about more of, of those kind of topics. But I will say, uh, though I haven't seen the film, I was just discussing this with my fiance a couple of days ago. She has seen it, and we we both have friends who are absolutely fans of the film and friends who are absolutely not fans of the film. And the one clear conclusion, and I think it's true with, with really any documentary. I mean, why do you make a documentary? It's because you have an idea or an agenda that you, that you want to expose and share with a larger audience. Mm-hmm. So clearly, clearly there is some sort of agenda promoting a vegan lifestyle, plant-based diet. And so whatever research supports that, and of course there's plenty of research that does support it, that's going to be that's going to be uh, elevated or pushed to the forefront. Yeah. And, and I think we can probably find that with, I mean, you could, you could find some research that supports an animal based diet too. I mean, the, the paleo type uh, craze or mindset of, of primal eating flesh and all this kind of stuff. You could probably find some, some good research supporting that too, which makes it very challenging in the area, as you know, in the area of nutrition and sports nutrition to to find conclusive evidence of what is scientifically uh, factually true uh, because studies are done by different people they're funded by different people they're designed to have specific outcomes they're designed to say that this supplement is good or it's not good or that this food product is good or not good yeah. or that this will this will lead to disease and you need to avoid it, whether that's a um, animal-based food or a plant-based refined carbohydrate or processed oil. And so, with, with any documentary, you have to consider that that there is a bias, there is an agenda. But I do know that film has inspired a ton of people, including uh, some celebrity types and influential people, to adopt a plant-based diet. And I think, in general that is a, a good thing. You know, fewer animals consume, fewer resources use, uh, less pain and suffering, and very likely uh, some health and Im- health improvements or health Im- positive health implications for those who are cutting out uh, processed meats, uh, highly carcinogenic meats, um, and uh, extra calories, cholesterol, etc., and, and going for a more uh, plant-based diet, higher in antioxidants, vitamins, minerals, nitric oxide, water, fiber. And overall, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, no, definitely. So, I mean, either way, no matter what, what was the vehicle to get them there, that's the, the destination still has so many benefits regardless of, you know, what made them change their mind. Exactly. And I think actually, I think that's a, a very good way to put it, put it, Mindy. I think that's, that's very powerful. Just like, who cares what your motivation is to exercise? But the fact that you do is going to just help your your bone density, your strength, your uh, endurance, um, your lung capacity, your metabolism. I mean, all these benefits of exercise. Who cares if it's uh, you know Tony Hort- uh, Tony Horton's P ninety X or if it's uh, Jay Cutler or or um, yeah. or some uh, NFL football star or or NBA star or Olympic athlete that inspires you or, or famous boxer um, that inspires you to, to get off your butt and do something. I think the way you put it, the vehicle uh, uh, taking you to that destination is, you know, that's, that's the important thing is that, is that you actually get to that destination yeah. or, you, or you see those outcomes regardless of whether you were inspired by health or animal rights or fitness or just a simple desire to change or mix up diet or lifestyle. Yeah. I think the benefits are still to be had, as you said. Yeah, no, exactly. And like some of the benefits that you already talked about too, but I mean, what are some of the, do you think are some of the most important benefits that you've reaped um, from becoming vegan? So, I mean, I was told that, you know, my, my skin would get better. um, You know, I'd, have more energy, like I wouldn't need to have so much sleep. Like, can you attest, like, are these all proven or for, for the most part or? <laughs> well, a lot, a lot of these do have some validity and truth to them, but a lot of them are sensationalized as well. I mean, we're, we, it's not, it's not totally this miracle, this miracle lifestyle that all of a sudden everything in your life gets better. I mean, it certainly can and has for some, especially 
if you really think about it, someone who's following a really poor diet and lifestyle, um, any kind of benefit, any kind of beneficial change is going to be uh, welcomed with open arms. And people yeah. are going to be like, wow, I feel better. I, you know, my skin's better. My energy is better. My digestion is better. Um, all these things are better. But if the lifestyle was really bad before that, then um, that's kind of a no-brainer. That's, that is to be expected. Yeah. And so, but in general, there are many things that, that one can expect to experience on a plant-based diet. And one of the things that I think is, is most uh, noteworthy is that plant-based foods are very nutrient-dense but not calorie-rich. So you don't have to eat a ton of calories to get really high amounts of vitamins, minerals, amino acids, antioxidants, fiber, and of course a lot of water, which our, our body is made up mostly of water anyway, 70% water, uh, from fruits and vegetables, leafy greens, uh, very, very high water content. And the fiber content of uh, beans and legumes and other plant foods uh, is very, very good, 97% of Americans don't eat enough fiber. Fiber is only found in plants. That's again, it's, a, it's an obvious conclusion that one will benefit from a higher fiber diet when almost 100% of us don't eat enough. Yeah. And and most of us uh, likely consume too many overall calories and too much dietary cholesterol. And plant foods are so low in calories. Um, I mean, for perspective. Uh, most, most vegetables are about 200 calories per pound where most meat animal products are 2000 calories per pound. So you can see, you can eat lots of volume of, of vegetables and fruits and even grains and legumes and, and, uh, and not get anywhere near the calories you would get from animal based foods of dairy products, eggs, meats, and then especially processed things like ice creams and cheeses and stuff. Very, very high calories, but not a lot of nutrients. So one of the, the absolute best benefits is that you get higher net gain nutrition. I mean, 64 times more antioxidants in plant-based foods than animal-based foods. And, and we, and we know that's important uh, for just general health and yeah. fighting off free radicals and all this, all, all this stuff. And, and the two that you mentioned, I think you mentioned earlier, and they're the two that are almost always synonymous for the plant-based diet, especially those who made the recent switch a year ago, two years ago, not like me, whereas two decades ago, and I don't really remember exactly <laughs> what I felt as a 15-year-old uh, endurance athlete versus a, you, you know, a 25-year-old bodybuilder. Uh, I just don't, I just don't remember. Um, and of course, I wasn't lifting one one time versus the other. I wasn't bodybuilding. But those who have made the switch recently, the two things they always say. I mean, I've heard this for so many years now. So many people is that they have more energy and they recover better from exercise. Yeah, you know, re reduction of soreness. They're, they bounce right back the next day. Uh, there's absolutely incredible endurance athletes who are longtime vegans, Scott Jurek and Rich Roll and Brennan Brazier, who can train hard seven days a week. Like they just they recover so well, and it's a bit conducive to long distance sports anyway to not need a rest day that like a bodybuilder might after hammering quads for an hour and a half. Yeah, uh, yeah. but. But that's that's what people notice. They, people notice, you know, I have more energy and I recover better. And and some things, as far as skin clearing up, often has a relationship with the consumption of dairy products and then stopping that consumption. Dairy products tend to lead to a lot of acne and some skin issues. The cessation of, uh, of consuming those uh, usually clears skin up. That's just something that's been... Uh, the case for so many people and, and noted and, and studied and, and, uh, revealed that that's, there's a relationship there. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and oftentimes improved digestion as well. I mean, animal products can be kind of hard to break down. They're very calorie dense and sometimes very processed and have lots of oils and, uh, and cholesterol and saturated fat and things that may, maybe make things a little bit heavy and challenging and make people feel like they've got to take a nap after a meal and, and uh, that's not necessarily the case after eating peaches and nectarines and and uh, and potatoes and and rice and broccoli and all that. Typically, yeah. feel a little bit more energized after that and, and lighter uh, on the stomach and fewer total calories. So, so those are some things that that I would say. And uh, and to just conclude on that topic, I don't think people need to feel left out 
as far as common foods like burgers and sandwiches and wraps and all that kind of stuff. I mean, all of these things can be made with plant-based food. I mean, my, my fiance makes bean burgers just from scratch with uh, different beans and oats and that, that bind together and they're, you know, they're fantastic and super nutrient dense Yeah. and anything else you can imagine. And, and also for those totally new to this lifestyle, it absolutely does not have to include tofu or soy products, tempeh, anything like that. In fact, I don't eat a whole lot of soy products anymore. I, I used to, but now I just prefer to eat potatoes and rice and vegetables and oats and quinoa and yams and broccoli and cauliflower and these other heavy foods. Yeah. So the diversity is there and the nutrition is there and the accessibility is there. Any grocery store in America obviously has produce and just get creative and find the things that you like and discard the things you don't or try things, try new things and uh, experiment with different types of meals and different types of foods as staples like beans and rice and potatoes as being the centerpiece of the meal, very heavy, uh, more calorie-dense plant-based foods, and and have fun with it. Beans, rice, potatoes. Okay, so if I go to the grocery store tonight, what are four foods that I can get that are super high-protein and low-carb? Well, that's a good question. Um, what, are, what are your favorites? Yeah, um, well... I, just to preface, these days, my which is different than my vegan bodybuilding book, but more of my Shred It book that was published uh, almost three years ago, I actually don't seek out super high-protein foods. So if I were, then I, I would say like tofu and tempeh, are those, those are foods that are high-protein with low carbs. When you start getting into beans and nuts and lentils and things like that, the carbohydrate content, content is a bit higher. But yeah. for me, I, I actually like a higher carbohydrate intake, so it's not something that I am worried about. Yeah. So, um, and obviously, leafy greens, though very low in calories, uh, are you know fifty percent of their their calories do come from protein, spinach, and other really dark leafy greens, especially if they're blended up or steamed, or you can eat a whole lot of them. That yeah. that's a good high protein uh, food that um, you know there's not very many calories in it, so it's going to be fairly low in carbohydrate as well, especially when 50% of its calories come from protein. So, um, I mean, almond butter and other nut butters, cashew butter, again, you start getting into a little bit of fat there and you've got to, you, you know, wrestle with that depending on your personal uh, fat intake or your preferences when it comes to fat. Yeah. So, and then you can start looking at, um, isolated stuff, you know, pea protein, uh, sports supplements and stuff, such. Again, it's not something that I seek out these days in my just my personal life. I don't really go for the high protein foods anymore. But um, but in general, I would I would say those kind of things: tofu, tempeh, almond butter, um, nuts, seeds, isolated pea protein, hemp protein, um, various leafy greens like kale and spinach, really dark leafy greens and ste steamed or blended form, and. Uh, and that would be, you know, that would be really it. It's hard to find low-carbohydrate plant-based foods because uh, carbohydrates are, are, are naturally uh, carbohydrate foods. Yeah. Fruits, vegetables, grains, legumes are naturally packed full of uh, vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, water, fiber, all these things we really need. So they, they just come in nature filled with carbohydrates, which, which I view as a, as a good thing. Yeah. And because we're not talking about refined carbohydrates like processed flours, refined sugars, pastries, donuts, cookies, pastas, white rice, that kind of stuff, I don't, I don't believe that uh, high carbohydrate foods, just like just potatoes and and broccoli and stuff, are going to lead to uh, fat gain and some of the things that bodybuilders are worried about because they're they're just natural foods. They're not heavily processed, yeah. like. I think what people refer to as, oh, I got to stay away from carbs. I think they're oftentimes referring to processed and refined uh, sugar and, and flour rich foods. And so, um, so I don't, I don't, I don't avoid them. I don't avoid high carbohydrate foods and don't personally seek out high protein foods. And to totally do that uh, would probably require a high tofu tempeh an isolated protein consumption. But then again, you'd be missing out on all the wonderful things that yeah. complex carbohydrate rich foods 
bring in their natural form and produce. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's all good points. And I think that, yeah, a lot of, a lot of bodybuilders, a lot of people that are in the fitness industry definitely worry about where they're going to, you know, how they're going to get the highest amount of protein with the uh, least amount of carb impact as well when they're going to be, you know, maybe on prep or something like that. So that's good. That's all, those are all good points to remember, especially when transitioning. And I mean, you've, you've been able to go all around the world, you know, speaking on the topic and, you know, you were just, I think you were just in China. Yeah. About three weeks ago, I was in Beijing. Yeah. You were in Beijing. And do you feel that there are more countries that have adopted a vegan diet, like lifestyle more widely here than in the United States? Yeah, I, I do actually. And I mean, wow. though it is big here, I mean, yeah. and it really is, it's, it's growing like crazy here in the U S and you, you only have to go to New York, Los Angeles, Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, Austin, uh, to, to see this. I mean, yeah. it's just in those major progressive cities, uh, veganism is just very, very popular. You walk down the streets in New York city, you'll see vegan listed all over windows of restaurants and, you know, encouraging oh, wow. customers to come in. There's vegan options here. Same with Los Angeles. I was just there a couple of days ago or last week or something. Uh, it's, it's very, very common, but you go to places like Germany and the United Kingdom, especially in England in London or even more specifically. And I was just there last year, uh, places like Australia in, in the major cities, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, um, or even places like Thailand. I was in uh, Chiang Mai, not even that big of a city, last year, about half a million people. And just standing in, in the city using the Happy Cow app, which helps you find vegan-friendly restaurants anywhere in the world oh, based on your location, typically cool. using GPS. Yeah, very, very popular app. Almost every vegan I know uses Happy Cow for one reason or another. I was standing in just in the random part of the city, and there were about 100 vegan-friendly restaurants within walking distance in the middle of Chiang Mai, Thailand. Oh, wow. And you go to Ubud in Bali, and we were there last year as well. And again, almost a, a vegan restaurant on, on every on every street. And it's, it's known as a very, very progressive and vegan-friendly city. In fact, one of the most vegan-friendly cities in Asia. And uh, uh, Israel, especially Tel Aviv, is incredibly vegan-friendly. I mean, I think they have... My understanding is that they have the highest percentage of, of people who claim to be vegan per capita of any place in the world. And really? so that's, that's encouraging uh, for those of us who follow this lifestyle. Yeah. And Canada, Toronto, Vancouver, um, very, very vegan-friendly. In fact, Toronto has one of the largest vegan festivals in the world that's been going on for 33 years and attracts 40,000 people. Okay. Chicago has another one that attracts about 40,000 People, these are the vegan festivals that I often visit and attend. Yeah. And that's what I was doing, um, I don't know, uh, most of the last couple months, every weekend. At some were fitness events, like last week in Vegas and in China was uh, for a fitness event. But other than that, they're mostly vegan festivals that I go to. And certainly growing, growing here, but I would say if I had to make some sort of conclusion, I would say that United Kingdom, Germany – and Israel, uh, and Israel are probably ahead of the U.S. and Australia, Canada, Austria, a few others are are right behind the U.S. Yeah. So wow. So I think it's growing for lots of reasons. I think a lot of the stuff we've talked about today, the um, the health benefits, and this is shown vividly in, in Forks Over Knives and in the over one million people who follow Forks Over Knives on Facebook alone and share testimonials constantly and transformation stories. Um, to just the growing desire of people uh, not wanting to cause unnecessary harm to animals and the planet uh, and just live in a more compassionate way in those regards. I, I think we are seeing what can be described as whatever you want to describe it, as, as, a, like as trendy, like a, as a shift. It's a conscious, as a, like a conscious shift. Yeah, cultural awareness. And, I mean, part of it is millennials re- rejecting um, – ways we've always done stuff it's people thinking more independently and critically it's uh having more information and access because of these things like documentaries that you mentioned regardless of whether they have a a bias or not because pretty much every film does and 
and, and just the, the access to information that books and the internet provide, uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of people just try something new. And, um, and I, th- I think it's pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool to see this. Yeah, that is pretty cool. And it was pretty cool too. And I just saw that, um, we just spoke about Canada. Um, Canada recently, they started the preliminary adjustments to its food guide that's going to favor plant-based protein and actually eliminate dairy. So this is something that's in the preliminary, you know, they're still filling it out, but I guess they've, you know, gathered, you know, um, information on this. And do you think, so, I mean, as, (laughs) as much as, you know, New York and LA and Austin are leading the way in being progressive on this, do you think the United States will be following this change, this kind of change in the future? Well, I, I would like to think so, and I did hear about that. I've been like really hiding out, uh, trying to finish my new book, so I haven't even been online a whole lot to see what's what's going on. Um, uh, another reason why I haven't seen what the hell I've just been working on editing for for weeks. And but I did hear about that because I do hop on Facebook every now and then uh, or Twitter. I did hear about that in Canada, and I think that's pretty exciting. Um, I think we have some major challenges in the United States, and that. Uh, that comes down to a lot of government influence, government subsidies, um, relationships with major agribusiness, major, major farms like big hog farms and chicken farms and beef farms and uh, and, and the like uh, tied to uh, to government and, and getting subsidies and, and uh, getting support and, and pushed as far as their their agenda in schools and the whole drink milk and got milk campaigns and all that, which may be one of the most detrimental things to human health is consuming milk from another species that no other mammal does after weaning, after being a baby. Yeah. It's just, it's unheard of <laughs> that it's, it's likely, it's likely the greatest cause uh, with the strong correlation to things like breast cancer, prostate cancer, acne, obesity, allergies, um, fatigue, decreased bone density, bone fractures, all of these things. Yet it's something that our government and major corporations get behind like crazy. And so I think we have a challenge in the U.S. because the USDA and other governing bodies have a very strong relationship with Beef beef Council, with animal agriculture in general. And that's something that's just that that's just factual. That's just where the numbers are. That's just where money comes from and who gets money and that's who gets promoted and, and what gets promoted. And I think you probably remember that, or I remember that from school is that we had to finish our milk before we could whatever, go to yeah. reset. You know, yeah. we've had to, maybe orange juice you had to pay for or something, but milk was free. And actually I even experienced that in my, just my own personal life. I was a summer camp counselor uh, for this 4-H camp, you know, just basically outdoor school, you know, arts and crafts and, and, and games and all this for, you know, a week during the summer. And I was a camp counselor every year, basically from when I was in high school to even in my twenties. And I remember in recent years, I was back there just visiting because I made a lot of friends there who, as far as members of the staff and everything. And I spent a lot of time growing up there being a camper as a kid myself. And I, and I was talking to the director, uh, who's a longtime friend of mine. And he was saying that, um, as far as their budget goes and buying supplies and all that for the camp for 130 kids for a week plus staff was that they had to pay for orange juice, but milk was free. And I think that's, that's common, um, around the country in schools in camps in summer camps in, in institutions and whatever the case is that if we can just get people hooked on milk early yeah. and it's one of the most addictive things, especially cheese, maybe one of the most addictive foods, period, uh, that we consume, then we've got a consumer for life. We've got a customer for life. And I, and I know some people may think that's a bit of a stretch or that's kind of out there, but that's, I mean, that's how marketing and advertising works. If you can get, no matter what product you have, if you can get people to buy it young and, and, and to consume it, you know, whether it's soda, we're talking about uh, 7-Eleven and, and Slurpees or uh, yeah. Coke and Pepsi and whatever, if you can get people interested in your product and to consume it on a regular basis and then you have branches of that product, it's not just milk out of a carton, but it's chocolate milk, it's strawberry milk, it's it's um, yeah. a milk protein drink, it's cheese, it's cheese pizza, yeah. it's uh, you know all ice cream, it's all yeah. of these things, 
man, you're, you, you're in great business. And then if you get government subsidies to help reduce your costs and get greater exposure by getting your products into every household, every school, every fast food place, every, um, every corner store, then that's very hard to now take a new agenda and say, hey, let's have apples and spinach and, um, and sweet potatoes and all of that instead. Yeah. So I think we're up against a, a pretty um, tall ladder, a pretty tall order. And um, it's not that it's not worth fighting for and, and, and pursuing. I think it is. But that's just the reality is that I think things in the United States are a bit more challenging than maybe in some other countries. Yeah. And I think it's just a whole new, you know, especially people that, you know, are trying to learn about what's healthy or maybe have been following and maybe have been, you know, you know, they just follow what's on TV, right? Okay. It says, you know, milk is, you know, got milk, you know, we got to drink milk. It's healthy. You got to eat this. It's healthy you know, that are now understanding that they really have to scrutinize and read labels and understand, you know, what the ingredients are and the hidden names of the ingredients. And then there's what they used to think was healthy, you know, like, you know, I'll have friends that'll be like, oh, you know, trying to lose weight. And while I'm eating, you know, I'm eating this, this yogurt and this is healthy because this is totally healthy. It's like, well, that little cup of yogurt's got like 30 grams of sugar in it. You know, it's dairy. You're trying to, you know, lose weight, but it's got all this hidden sugar and chemical in it and everything and it's like oh well geez now now i gotta start from scratch again you mean i can't have this this is unhealthy (laughs) like you know it's um you know and i've always believed in everything in moderation too but i think just a lot of people might just be getting frustrated with information out there and you know it's it's hard i think for you know the general population just to stay in the know with you know what's going on with the food that they're consuming yeah, I, I and I think you made some good points there, and I think we're um, we have this uphill battle. And, and I, I was just doing this interview a couple of days ago in Las Vegas, discussing this topic too. That there are so many different ideas about what is good nutrition, depending on who, again, who you are, where you studied, what you learned, uh, what research you did, who conducted it, who funded the research, who who extracted the data, et cetera, that it's, it's very, very hard to find standard conclusive evidence, which is why we have so many people enthusiastic about, let's say, the paleo diet, including doctors, and yeah. so many people enthusiastic about a plant-based diet, including doctors, and so many people enthusiastic about a high-fat diet, including doctors, and so many people enthusiastic about a low-carb diet, including doctors, it's so, so hard for a person who doesn't know much about this. I mean, I, I've been in this for 20 years. I'm certified in plant-based nutrition through the Center of Nutrition Studies through Cornell University. I've written now three books, and I'm still learning stuff, and I don't have all the answers, and I'm, I'm friends with phenomenal doctors like Dr. Michael Greger, Dr. Neil Barnard, Dr. T. Colin Campbell, Dr. Carbill Esselstyn, who've all... Uh, changed the world in a lot of ways and have sold millions of copies of books and have been in dozens of movies and have really, really carried this dialogue and brought this conversation into households um, through their books and TV appearances and writings and movie appearances and all that. But it still doesn't mean that that's, that that is 100% right because there's so many people who, uh, who have different ideas. And here, and here's a clear example. There again, and hopefully this shows me in a way removing my bias too. I, I was talking to some other vegan people at, at a festival. This is actually many years ago, but uh, one of my colleagues made this comment about you know anyone who's eating animal products is just eating just dead nutrients. I mean, just completely nutritionally void. I mean, there's just nothing good from it. And I said, well, how then? How do you explain the NFL? These yeah. guys will trample you in a second. Um, I mean, these guys are just absolute incredible machines. And you're saying they're some of the best physical specimens on the planet as far as strength and speed relationship and power and, and just brute force that they can generate. And you're saying they're, they're consuming just dead nutrition. There's just nothing there. That, that can't be the case. That can't be true. Now, is it true that many, many NFL people suffer from all kinds of organ problems and diseases and have uh, incredible 
mortality rates at a young age? Yeah, absolutely. And is some of that related to their sport? Yeah, yeah, probably. And is some of that related to their dietary lifestyle? Sure. Absolutely. Can't be ignored. But we can't just say that, oh, guys like, you know, guys like Ronnie Coleman's not getting any, any real nutrition. Well, he's, he was the greatest bodybuilder on the planet for nearly an entire decade with a physique that we've never seen before and strength we've never seen before from a bodybuilder. We can't say this guy's not getting any nutrition. And we can't say that about the NFL or about LeBron James. Mm-hmm. But what we can do is talk about the science of what their arteries might look like, what their organs might look like, what their risk of a cardiac issue might look like. Uh, what their uh, expected mortality rate could be from this type of diet and lifestyle over time and, and the damaging endothelial cells, which protect artery walls and plaque buildup in arteries. And, um, and we can speculate some of those kind of things. But then there's also the argument that my grandpa or grandma lived to 98 years old and <laughs> ate uh, uh pork products or beef every day of her life, you know, yeah. living out on a farm in the Midwest. What, what, what are you going to do? You know, well, okay, maybe they would have lived to 120 instead of 98, you know, yeah. or maybe, or maybe, um, the fact they were super, super active or didn't eat processed foods. So they ate more of a natural diet of plants and animal products. Uh, you, you know, I don't, that's a, that's for me, Mindy, probably the most frustrating thing for me, even being in this industry is that it's not black and white. Yeah. There's, there's absolutely no just this is one right answer scientifically or nutritionally speaking. There's just not. And that's the same with exercise science. And that's why that industry is very frustrating. You can think you know is everything about anatomy, physiology, kinesiology, neurology, and then there's these freak athletes that prove you wrong. And yeah. you're like, how did that happen? So. Yeah. Um, it's so hard and it can be very frustrating too when you're trying to uh, educate somebody on a specific topic that you truly believe will benefit them, the environment, the planet, and the animals you hope they don't consume anymore. But when there is an equally impressive argument from the paleo side or from some other side mm-hmm. uh, that says the opposite thing, it's how do you win that argument or how do you – how do you encourage that person to side with you uh, or to accept that you have merit or that you're correct? It's, and I don't have the answer. I think that comes down to personal preference and maybe how persuasive somebody is in a film or a, a, with their own athletic achievements, like vegan Olympic athletes who are achieving some great success or, or in other areas of sports or um, one person's, level of empathy, whether they decide, you know what, maybe the taste of this sandwich is not worth that pig or cow's entire life. And maybe they wrestle with that internally. I don't know what, I don't know what the answer is. I just know that I, I do what I do for the reasons that I have as a kid growing up on a farm. And I did find some success in bodybuilding and could I have been bigger and better had I been eating six chicken breasts a day? You know, we'll never know. But, um, <laughs> But I think the fact that I have my story and that other people have their stories of success on a plant-based diet at least gives some sort of anecdotal evidence and hope for others who are aspiring to do the same that, hey, it is possible and here's some people who have done it. And by the way, the number of people who have done it is growing faster and faster and faster. So it's not just this Robert guy. (laughs) There's a whole lot of people, men and women out there. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, there's... There's so many variables, you know, and as far as like, you know, the, the 92 year old grandma and this and that, and I mean, and everybody is different. Every body is different and your background and what you believe and, you know, what you've grown up around. There's just so many different variables on that. And yeah, it'll just take, it's, it'll either take a, a tiny, well, <laughs> excuse a pun, excuse a pun, tiny seed planted at some point. And yeah. you know, like you said, their, their level of empathy in the situation, because I know personally for myself, there's been times like, you know, and I, I love steak. I now live in the Midwest. So I'm in the, like the prime again, <laughs> I'm in the prime, you know, place for, for steaks. And I mean, yeah, I, I enjoy it, but there's times where, you know, I'm eating and I'm just like, man, I am eating, I'm eating flesh right now, you know, and it doesn't yeah. sit, it doesn't sit right with me for a second. And then, you know, we were even on the drive back from Colorado 
you know, and looking at the, the, the cows that were outside and watching like the little baby cows with their mom. And it's just like, mm, man, that, that doesn't sit right with me either, you know? And it just, it'll, yeah. I think, it, I think it kind of eats away, eats away at you a little bit. And, um, yeah, like I said, for, for myself, those are, those are some of the reasons behind there, especially with animals and being a big animal lover. I mean, it's just a, seems to be just a, a huge hypocrite why I'm still eating meat. So, <laughs> well, and that's, and I love that you, you acknowledge that and express some of those feelings as well. And I think the important thing to note there is that there was a time probably decades ago where we could feel that way, but think that we couldn't get adequate nutrition that, you know, I love animals, but I can't be a bodybuilder and, or a football player yeah. or a sprinter or a great athlete. And that's something I wrestled with in the mid nineties too. Like, man, I really love animals, but why don't I just continue drinking as much milk as I can until I'm fully grown, you know, age 19, 20, yeah. 21, and then become vegan. But I just said, you know what? I think I can do this um, by just eating real plant foods and get enough calories and just work hard. And so that's what I think is important that we communicate now is that you can have those feelings, Mindy, as anyone can, and still know and have confidence that you can get adequate nutrition, adequate calories, adequate protein, adequate amino acids, adequate recovery from exercise, and continue to build or tone, or burn fat, or whatever the goal is, uh, increase endurance, or speed, or strength, become a champion powerlifter, bodybuilder, football player. Uh, we're, we're now seeing case after case, including Olympic w weightlifter, um, Kendrick Ferris, you know, on the U.S. Olympic weightlifting team as, as a vegan. I mean, we're seeing tremendous examples, and I think that does breathe in a lot of hope to people who want to act on their empathy and on their compassion and to give it a try. And I encourage everyone listening who does feel that way, that feels empathy and, 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 uh, and compassion toward farm animals to, to give the plant-based diet, vegan lifestyle a try and know that if you eat diversity of calories, uh, from lots of different great tasting plant-based foods that, uh, that you can absolutely have a wonderful experience doing so. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And, so you're writing, you're writing your book, right? Yeah. Now. It's almost done. Tell, tell me, tell me about that here. I don't want to keep you too much longer here, but I definitely want to speak about that because you've been working on this. Like, like you said, you've been in like hiding in your <laughs> house and working on it. So tell me about your book that's, that's going to be coming out. Yeah, this is an exciting one. This one's called Plant-Based Muscle. And my other books, as you mentioned already, Vegan Bodybuilding and Fitness from 2010 and Shred It in 2000, late 2014, right before the holidays. And now this one should be out in about three weeks. Plant-Based Muscle is co-authored with my training partner, Vanessa Espinoza, who is an incredible athlete. She's been vegan for 16 years. She was an All-American basketball player, uh, was drafted into the WNBA, uh, became a uh, three-time um, uh, state boxing champion, and... Um, you know, and just a wonderful person. She's a current uh, personal trainer, and she's about to set some, what I think, she'll set some national records in powerlifting. And uh, anyway, we're really, really excited about that. So um, so plant-based muscle is, is something we're really, really excited about. Vanessa and I have been working on this for the past two years, and uh, it's a it's a really, it's an inside look at our own personal training philosophies, nutrition philosophies, our actual workout plans, uh, our actual workouts, our actual meal plans and recipes that we really follow. Because over the you know years that we're on tour, the most common question we get is, so, so how do you do it? You know, exactly how do you eat? Exactly how do you lift? Yeah. Especially if you see Vanessa, and I can send you some, uh, some photos, um, you know, she's really, really built. Uh, yeah. Like I said, she just in her regular workouts, just her casual workout at the gym, she could set every state record in powerlifting here in Arizona, and she can already, I think, set the national record uh, for bench press. Crazy. You know, she, so she's like 130 pounds, you know, and she puts up 110 pound dumbbells in each hand for chest press. Yeah. And, uh, and and a good, I don't know, 250 on bench, and I don't know, 275 on decline bench or something. Uh, she's very very strong. Yeah. So so anyway. 
And obviously a long-time vegan as well, 16 years. So combined, we have more than 35 years' experience as plant-based athletes, and plant-based muscle shares all of our background for how we stay motivated to train, how we're, we're goal-driven and oriented uh, to achieve success in what we pursue, uh, how we use con- consistency and accountability and transparency to help with our pursuits in fitness and nutrition, and uh, and showing them behind the scenes, you know, behind the scenes uh, of exactly what we do uh, day in, day out, including for me, like when I'm on the road, how my training or nutrition changes when I'm traveling, and, and how I make that work, and uh, and how she does her thing, you know, as a world class athlete and longtime personal trainer, helping her clients achieve the results they're looking for. So uh, so we're pretty excited about plant based muscle, and for this particular book. It's actually going to be a full color ebook. So uh, all my other books are in print, and you can find them obviously on Amazon and, and some other stores, and on my website, yeah, which is veganbodybuilding.com. But um, this one is going to be a full color ebook that will be available on our website on veganbodybuilding.com, and uh, we're, we're we're excited to release that in the you know August uh, 2017. So coming soon. Coming soon, indeed. That's going to be amazing. I can look forward to. Uh getting a copy for myself to download and have and read. And yeah, I'm just going to be a sponge here trying to soak up as much knowledge. And of course, I'm going to be reading through your first book as well. Um, again, I'm going to be uh, <laughs> trying just to learn so much about this lifestyle. And it's this interview has been really eye-opening for me. We really um, put to bed a lot of questions that I had about being a vegan. And I really appreciate all all of your knowledge and your insight uh, as well, Robert. So I really thank you for taking the time to uh, come on the show. Yeah, thanks, Mindy. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate your uh, your perspectives and your feedback and your questions. And uh, please tell Sean I said hi, too. Uh, it was great to bump into you at the, uh, at the Olympia last yes. year. Uh, I'm going to miss it this year because I've got a wedding to attend. But, um, but hope to catch up uh, later on down the road. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Robert. All right. Thanks, Mindy. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. That was episode seven with Robert Cheek. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope this has helped y'all if you've been on the fence about opting for a plant-based diet or just wanted to tune in to get some more info and have some questions answered that have been on your mind. I know this has helped me in my decision. So if you've enjoyed this podcast and if you'd like to share it with other people, be my guest. I would love that. You can also find us on Instagram, becoming underscore unfuckwithable. And that's fuck without the U because it's trying to be a little PG. So <laughs> thank you for tuning in and tweet us on Twitter. Hashtag be unfuckwithable. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Becoming Unfuckwithable. If you believe you're unfuckwithable, go ahead and share this podcast.